Selfishness can destroy a relationship and you end up destroying yourself. This message that I wanted to share with you from a sermon I did at Grace Evangelical Church in Congo Town, Greater Monrovia, Liberia. I want you to hear the story of Abraham and of Lot. Thank you for listening to Voices Along the Way. I'm Gene Brooks. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to open, please, this morning to Genesis chapter 13. We're preaching through a series through Genesis. We will be in this series through Genesis, if it uh, plays out like we think it will, through November. Through November. So we'll spend most of this year in the book of Genesis. There was uh, once a young girl in a village... She had a special talent for finding the very best food in the bush. And one day, Spider asked the young girl to help him go look for food because he was too lazy to work for himself. And he was sure he could trick this girl into sharing where is she finding all the good food. He didn't know how clever the girl could be. Little girl... Nobody finds the fruits as sweet as yours. Will you please take me where you're going to look in the bush? Well, I suppose I can do it one time, said the girl. You promise to keep my secret? Oh, yeah, you can trust me. What do you like to eat? Oh, I like plum. I like banana. I like honey. Well, I think I can help you. Well, Spider said, this girl is very stupid. She's going to take me to her secret place. Then I will know it. So the girl led him along the path and she took him down a trail where many people don't go to find the very best fruit. Now, Spider was very greedy as well as being very lazy. And so, as soon as the girl showed him where the secret plum was found, his eyes became wide and his mouth began to water and he shoved the little girl in the bush and he rushed past her, climbed a tree, he ate all the plum in the tree. Oh, he was so happy. He didn't even leave one plum for the little girl. And he didn't even say thank you. After he was finished, he rubbed his belly and he thought, this is the best day of my life. This is a great idea I had. I can't believe that she showed me where her plums are found. So I wonder if she'll take me to find a banana. So, she must be very foolish. And so she said, big smile on his face, he said to her very politely, do, do, do you want, want to take me to show me your special banana? So, she said yes. And so he raced down the tree before the girl could change her mind. And she said, over here is a patch where they have the best banana. And so his mouth began to water, his eyes got wide, he rushed to the banana tree, he went straight through, pushed the girl in the bush, and he went through the tree, ate all the bananas. He ate every single one of the ripe banana. He didn't even leave the girl one. He didn't even tell her thank you. And then Spider looked down at the girl again and smiled at her. And the girl looked at at Spider and she asked him, Now, are you too full, or would you like me to show you where is the honey? 
Oh, Spider said, this woman, this girl is very foolish. Hmm? He rushed out of the tree and he followed the girl down the trail before she could change her mind. And she said, over here is a special tree. Deep inside is a small hole that the most delicious honey in all of the bush. Now, the girl was not as foolish as Spider thought. She had a plan to teach this greedy, lazy spider a lesson. So she remembered that spider loved honey too much. And she, she was not surprised when his eyes got wide, his mouth began to water, and she wasn't surprised when he shoved her in the bushes, and he ran past her, climbed up the tree, squeezed into the old ate all of the sweet honey inside the tree. He didn't share nothing with the girl. Not even share one drop of the honey. And he didn't say thank you. So when Spider had finished eating and was very full, his belly was very filled, he tried to climb out, but he couldn't get out of the hole. He was too fat. His stomach was too big. He was stuck inside a tree. Help me, help me, girl, he cried to the spider. The spider cried out to the girl. I can't get out of the tree. She said, you wouldn't be stuck if you were not so selfish. I'm sorry, please help me. She said, no, I'm not as foolish as you think. You aren't sorry for what you did. You're sorry because you got caught in the tree. No, help me. But the girl left him in the tree and went back to the village. Now the passage before us today is about a very selfish man. He wanted everything for himself. And we see a selfish man and an unselfish man together and we see the consequence of, what, of their ways. Moses wrote Genesis 13 to teach Israel to trust God, to love others, and to put away selfishness in our lives. So I want to show you today what God's Word says about walking with God. Read with me in Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me. Or between your herdsmen and mine. For we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. 
If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. And Lot looked up, and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out to the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived in the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Now, if you look at the map that I have on the next slide, I want you to see how the land was laid out. Now, so we are looking from the south, looking north, and you see right in the middle, you see the Jordan River and the Jordan Valley. Right in front of you, you see the Dead Sea, and this is a modern map of, of, of the Holy Land, and it shows that in the lower end, you see the, the green and blue and dark colors and the lines in it. That's where the state of Israel today the nation of Israel is using that to harvest the salt that is in the Dead Sea. And it's very uh, expensive and it's very sought after salt that, that, that they're selling. So the, in the area where you see the green and the black um, salt beds is where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Back at that time it was lush and green and very well watered. Then it was destroyed by God because of its wickedness. Since then it's been desert and salty and lifeless. Not even any fish live in the Dead Sea. That's why it's called a Dead Sea. Because nothing's flowing out, only flowing in. Now you see how it's in a very low place. On one side are mountains. On the right, that's the nation of Jordan. And then to the north you can see, here you'll see Jordan. And then to the north you can see Syria and Damascus. On the left, you can see this is the Negev, or the south, called the south in the scripture, or the Negev. The city of Hebron that one day Caleb would take at age 80. And you can see how Jerusalem is there. It's not yet belonging to, to Abraham and his people. But this is Bethel, and A-I, or A-I, actually is what it's supposed to be pronounced, and he pitched and he had built an altar in between the two. It's very interesting. This means, Bethel means the house of the house of God. I-E or A-I means house of ruin, the, place, the heap of ruins or a house of magic, place of magic. So he built his, he put his altar between the house of God and the heap of ruins of magic. Now that should teach us something. Now, down here is Jericho, and way up here is the Sea of Galilee, 
And up here is Mount Carmel, where Elijah would one day call the fire down. So all of this is going on. The Jordan River up through here. And so you see how high this is. And so they were standing up on a, on a ridge right along here where they could see all of this. They could see it all. You could stand, literally stand in that spot and see all of that area. Because it's, it's a very high. This is 3,000 feet above sea level. That's the Mediterranean Sea. 3,000 feet above sea level. Here we are 1,410 feet below sea level. So the difference is almost a mile difference of height from one to so you can see very far. And so they were in that place when, they, when this particular thing event happened. Now I want to get, get us where we are. In Genesis 12, God gave Abram, called Abram a pagan out of Ur of the Chaldees and brought him and said, leave your country and go to the land I'm showing you. And, I'm, and he gave him a covenant. I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations because out of him would come the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. Right? And immediately, uh, as, as soon as that's over, the very next story is Abram. He asks Abram to trust him and have faith. He comes to, the, to Canaan and immediately he fails the test of faith because the circumstances change and there's famine in Canaan. And what does he do? Instead of trusting God, he runs to Egypt where he knows there's food to take care of himself and his family. And when he gets there, he lies about his wife. And he failed the test of faith, going deceiving Pharaoh. And now Abram is returning now to his calling. He's returning to the land. He's returning uh, to the promise that God has made in his life. And he's coming with his nephew Lot. And another test of faith is coming. Now, at this point... Abram is coming back out of Egypt, and he is not just, he's not just now wealthy, but he's very wealthy, the scripture says. That's foreshadowing the children of Israel when they left in the Exodus. Many years later, the Egyptians piled gold and silver on them as they were leaving. And this is a picture of what would happen in the future. He went into the desert of the south and all the way up to Bethel, a journey of about 200 miles. And Abraham, Abram is now a very wealthy man. He doesn't have just the great herds, but he has a silver and gold, which is unusual because uh, it was presumably or maybe the bride price that Pharaoh paid to Abraham, to Abram, for Sarah, Sarai. Uh, maybe it was from, a, from his business dealings in Egypt. But the irony is that everything that Abram received in Egypt, which is a symbol of the world, caused him trouble. His nephew Lot had had a taste of life in Egypt. And then he begins to measure everything he sees by what happened in Egypt and what he saw in Egypt. And that leads to Lot separating from Abram. Abram, the only good influence in his life. It leads to Lot's downfall. It leads to his ruin of his family. 
There's going to be division and sorrow in the home of Abram because he comes out of Egypt with an Egyptian handmaid named Hagar who create, who is, who, who is Sarah made a big mistake giving that woman to Abram to have a son because she didn't trust God's promise. And Ishmael was born and we're still dealing with the consequences of that one. Even today. What does all this teach us? It teaches us that there are no benefits to disobedience. You will never find it. Disobedience never pays. You will always pay. Abram will deal with the consequences for the rest of his life. And in some sense, we're still dealing with those consequences even today. Because the descendants of Ishmael hate the Jews today. And they hate Israel. And that's why they are enemies of one another. God has promised, has promised Abram Canaan for his homeland, but he's not yet found a place for home. And he pitches his tent there between the house of God, Bethel, and on the west, and Ai, or Ai, the heap of ruin on the east. And notice that Abram goes back to the first place where he made his first altar. Do you notice when we were looking at chapter 12 that the whole time he was in Egypt he never built an altar? But when he comes back into the land, he comes back with a priority. I'm going to come back to the Lord. I'm going to renew my worship of the Lord. He's coming back to his senses. He's coming back to right priorities. And it's very significant that he returns to the place where he was at the beginning. What does this teach us about from Abram's life, what does it teach us? It teaches us to never abandon your altar. Never get away from the Lord. Holy altars in the Bible are the places where we meet with God. Stay in fellowship with the Lord no matter what your circumstances may be. Don't walk away from the Lord. Even if you don't understand what's happening. Even if it's difficult, even if it's painful, even if you are angry with God, stay at the altar. It's the place of healing. It's the place where you will gain understanding. It's the place of wisdom. It's the place of growth. What if you had disobeyed and you forgot about your altar and God is disciplining you right now because you have walked away from the altar? Well, then what you do is you do like Abram. And God calls you to go back to the place where you left him. Go back to where you were at the beginning and make things right. The victorious Christian life is not a person that never makes a mistake. The victorious Christian life is the life of a person going back to God and starting over, over and over and over. That's a victorious Christian life. By the way, the very place of Abram's first altar in the land was the exact place many years later where Jesus would conduct his first mission to someone who was not a Jew when he encountered in John chapter 4 the woman at the well. This is the very same spot, the very same well. We never know 
what our faithfulness to God will bring after we are gone and the heritage that we are creating. That's the first thing that's in the sermon today. That's the first point. We need to choose God first. We choose God first. The second thing that we need to do is we need to choose others second. We choose others second. Now, to do successful hurting, go to the next one, please. We choose others second. This is verses 5 through 9. Now, it talks about Lot and the issues that arise between the quarreling. To be a good herder and to shepherd your flocks, you've got to have two main things. You've got to have water and you've got to have places for the animals to eat. You've got to have grass, right? And so during the hot, dry season that in this part of the world is between April and September, the herds have to go up to higher ground in the hills where the grass and the streams can be found. Because down in the plain is very hot and dry. It's likely that finding the right grass and finding the water sources was the, hard, was the problem that was being created between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot. They were arguing over the places. So, so we see in verse, verse 5 that Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. You know, in chapter 12, it was, we didn't have enough because it was a famine that caused problems. Now in chapter 13, having too much is causing problems. Because Abram has flocks and herds, and Lot has flocks and herds, and he is also wealthy, and there are already people in the land that are living in the area. And it's ironic that with all these unbelieving Canaanites in the land, it's the two... <laughs> These two guys who are in the same family are the ones who can't get along. And so we see in verse 6 that the land was not able, literally it was not able to bear those two. In the Hebrew, the number two has a dual uh, meaning. When two is mentioned, it indicates a difference. Now, when the scripture says when two agree, then... The testimony is conclusive, right? But other than that, whenever you see two, two always implies opposition, two different sides, enmity, division. And notice uh, when we use the term a double tongue or you say you hear in the scripture a double minded. That's the idea that when the two are opposed to one another. And here we have two, Abraham, Abram and Lot. And they're herdsmen. So they're the two. Then the quarreling breaks out in verse 7 between these, the shepherds of these two men. And they have the potential to spoil the relationship between Abram and his nephew, Lot. And to a, also, the people are living in the land and they're watching these two who are supposed to be worshiping the one true God. And so it can spoil the testimony that Abram carries before the people of the land. Now, Abraham had failed in Egypt to handle conflict well. This time with his nephew, Abram gets it right. He puts his uh, relationship with God and his family as the top priority. Abraham is the elder. He has the right to decide. 
He can make the decision and say, Lot, you go here. I will stay. I will do this. You do that. And Lot, just like in much of West Africa, when Lot being the younger man, will just have to accept the decision of the older man. But instead, Abram is very wise and he doesn't exercise his right. He includes Lot in the decision. Now, in Genesis 12, Abram failed. He, he was obsessed with himself and his own safety. He didn't even think about his wife. He was going to send his wife into the harem of that Pharaoh. What would, that, what would happen to her inside there? He was concerned about himself, his future, himself, his money, his stuff. And in the process, he twisted the truth. And he became deceitful and he lied in order to try to protect himself. Now, this time, Abraham chooses to put himself second instead of to put himself first. He gave up all his rightful authority as the patriarch of the clan, as the elder, the dean elder, so to speak, to find a solution. So Abraham realized that in order to keep the family relationship, which was most important, we're going to have to have some separation. We're going to have to have a boundary. He realized that family relationship comes before business. Now, when conflict arises, many people will avoid the problem and act like, oh, there's no problem. I don't see problem. I'm just going on acting like avoiding the problem. Some people, when conflict arises, they want to fight. They want to get their way. Some people, when there's conflict, they want to exercise their rights to be right. And I know I'm right, and I will fight for my right. Wisdom sometimes means that you voluntarily give up your right in order to settle an issue. Yes. In a quarrel, it's vital to have the courage and the wisdom to pray through a problem, to encounter what is really going on underneath here. Yes, the hearts are quarreling, but let's, let's go and see what's below that. We're not worried about the fruit and the leaves. We're worried about what's at the root. Because if we would deal with the root, we would deal with the whole thing. And so you pray through it and you find a godly solution. That's what Abram did. He realized that family relationship is more important than doing business. And so perhaps in order to preserve a relationship, you have to say... We're going to have to separate. We're going to have to just go our way. We can't, you, you know, you can have a lot of friends and you can have a lot of family. But you can't work with all your friends and you can't work with all your family. It's just reality. And so in order to keep your friend, sometimes you have to say, let's not work together anymore. Because I want to remain your friend. Or I love you, you're my family, but I don't want us to work together now. We can't do that. Let's separate. Let's do our own thing. You want to do your thing. We want to do it our way. Let's, let's keep our relationship, which is more important. You go do what you need to do. I'll do what I need to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. To preserve a relationship, sometimes you have to draw a boundary. You have to draw a boundary. Sometimes there are people who try to get too much into your life and they want to control too much of what's going on. You have to draw a boundary. I lovingly say, you know, I love you. I want to keep our friendship. I want to keep our relationship and as family. We want to keep it happy. But let me tell you, Mom, this is where the boundary is. You crossed it. 
I had one friend who, who um, his, after he was married, his mom was always in, in, interfering in marriage, interfering in marriage, interfering in marriage. They will make a decision as a couple, and then the, the, the mother will come and say, no, 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 that's not the right thing. You need to do this. And finally, her, the son had to say, Mom, I love you. You born me, you raised me, you fed me, you changed me, you took care of me all my life, but now I'm married. Don't make me choose between you and my wife because I don't think you would like the result. And so she realized that she wisely backed up and he built a boundary for her. He let her know how much he loved her and he wanted to keep the relationship, but he cannot let this go on. Because he can't, he can't lose his family to keep his mom happy. And so these things happen. In families, sometimes in West Africa, we feel that we, we should take others into our homes. And wh whenever a person comes from a, into a home or goes out from a home, that causes changes in the house. Sometimes the wife feels crowded by the husband's relatives. Or the husband cannot lead his house because the wife's mother is always interfering. The husband may say, "What well, is this my brother or this is my sister. I'm, I'm, I'm obligated to help. And so the tension comes into the home. Sometimes it's better to say, you know my brother, my sister, I want to provide for you at a distance. I love you. I want to keep our relationship good. And so... What I'm going to do is I won't have you in the home. We're going to put you in another place at a distance, but I'm going to continue to care for you. Instead of creating a situation in the home where everyone is quarreling and unhappy all the time. The third thing that we see in this passage is verses 10 to 13. In verses 10 to 13, we see that we should choose self last. So we choose God first, we choose others second, and we choose self last. Last, we choose self last. Now, this encounter from verses 10 down to 13 occurs on that high hill where they can see all that beautiful area. Today, because of the judgment of God, it's dry and salty and lifeless. But at that time, it was beautiful. I want you to notice a couple of things here about Lot. First of all, in verse 11, he says, Then Lot lifted up his eyes, right, in verse 10, and he saw two things. Notice, he said that the plain of the Jordan was well watered. Now look how he described it. Like the garden of the Lord, that's the, he says this is like the garden of Eden all over again. And he said it's like Egypt towards Zor, where it's well watered in the plain of Goshen. So you have, he's, try, he's mixing He's saying this is like God's garden, and it's also like the world's garden. So he's mixing, he's mixing God's way. He wants both. He wants the world, and he wants God. Both. He doesn't want to, to lose out on anything one way or another. It, it shows, Lot's choice shows the quality of his character. You know, a man is known by his choices. A woman is known by her choices. And Lot, in a reflection of Eve in the garden, he looks up and he sees a lush Jordan Valley 
almost like the Garden of Eden where evil lies waiting like a serpent, waiting to bite. But all he sees is a beautiful fruit that he wants, you see? And so in verse 7, we see the first step of Lot's downward course. First, and then in second, we see in verse 10, he beheld or he looked up and he saw. And then in verse 11, he chose. And then in verse 12, he pitched his tent toward. And then in verses, chapter 14, verse 12, he dwelt in. And then in chapter 19, verse 1, we see he sat in the gate as a ruler and an elder. So you see the progression of sin in his life. This is exactly what Paul talks about, where, so where how sin operates. First, it, it comes in our mind. We think about it. We continue to think about it. Then we will end up doing it. It starts in the mind. The battlefield is in the mind. For Lot, it started. He looked up. He saw. And he beheld. Wow. It's so beautiful. And then he progressively moved to the place where eventually he was an elder in the gate. He was involved in all the wickedness. He was there around and didn't say a word. So that, that lush green beauty that was similar to the Garden of Eden, but it was a counterfeit beauty. It was not real. Lot went east into the lush valley. Now, going east in the Bible is symbolic of sin. Adam and Eve, when they left the garden, which way did they go? They went east, right? When, when Cain killed Abel, what way did he go? He went east. When the two tribes of Israel came into the land, they didn't want to go into the land of Israel. They wanted to go be east of the Jordan. They didn't want to go into the land God was giving them. When Israel and, Jordan were car- Israel and Judah were carried away into exile... Because of their sin. Which direction did they go? They went east. And now Lot goes east. Leaving the land of Canaan. Going to a plain and its cities of gross immorality. And sin. Lot's choice will prove a disaster for his family. Lot turned his back on Bethel, the house of God. And turned his face toward Ai, the heap of ruins. Now let's look at Lot's compromise. He saw the plain like the Garden of Eden and like Egypt. A mixture of God and the world. He wanted a little bit of God. He wanted a little bit of the world. He couldn't choose. And you know what happened? He eventually lost it all. Lot's attitude is common. Many believers close their eyes to what is right when they make business deals. Or they seek promotion. Or they take action to advance themselves. Many people have no problem cheating on an exam or to sleep with their teacher for a good grade or plagiarize their paper or cheat another person or steal from their employer to eat the money they were given and not use it for its purpose. They will lie and they cover themselves. Right and wrong, people especially if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, right and wrong matter when you do business in school, in relationships, in business. It matters to do it right. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with the turmoil. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. 
Are you one of those persons? Is there something that you need to make right? Is there someone to whom you need to ask forgiveness? Is there someone you need to pay back for you stole from? Don't wait. Do what God is calling you to do. Don't worry about the shame. The shame is in hiding the sin that will find you out one day and be public. And it will come with a heavy consequence. Like a lot endured. The honor is in admitting your deed like a man or like a woman of God and asking forgiveness and accepting the consequences and saying, I will, I will restore what I have taken. Lot represents a fleshly, carnal man. Perhaps Lot represents most of the men and women that we meet today. You know, where you find an Abraham or a Daniel or a Joshua, you will find a thousand lots. And this moment, this decision that Lot made right here, determined the direction of his life. Up to this point, he was with Abram. And even if he was not very wise, Abram had his arm around him and said, No, you're coming with me. You're going to do this. You're going to go with me. You're staying with me. We're going to make a right decision. But at this point, he makes his own decision. And this is a marker in his life that from this point, everything went down. Because he made a decision that was a bad decision. It was a selfish and a greedy decision. Lot did what felt good at the time. He didn't ask anybody any uh, advice. He didn't take any time to pray. He didn't even stop to think. If I go down there, what might happen? What about my children growing up in that kind of a place? Just a reactionary, carnal response to everything. The immorality of a drunk lot a few years later with his daughters would create the people of Moab, the Moabites, the enemies of Israel. Enemies so terrible that the Moabites were not allowed to come and pray in the tabernacle. Yet our God is a missionary God. Ruth was a Moabitess, a Moabite woman. And she is found in the genealogy and the family as a grandmother of King David and of Jesus the Messiah. So even if you're a Moabite, you can come to faith in Christ. I knew a woman in Kenya one time named Lucy Maguyi. She ran a missionary training school. They had no money and they had very poor land. But they planted a garden and, and to provide food for the school's students. All they had was prayer. No fertilizer. The land was bad. They prayed for the seed when they planted it. They prayed for the young plants as they watered them. They prayed as the garden grew. And their neighbors marveled at that poor ground is producing more than their own good ground. How can this happen? Lucy would just smile and she said, this is, it provides everything we need and we give. We have, she said, so we had so much produced out of that very poor ground. We were giving it to our neighbors. You see, it's, about, it's not about choosing the best land for yourself. Abraham took the land that was poor, but God blessed him. Otherwise, you know, oftentimes we have land issues in the family, do we not? 
Many people will choose the greedy and the selfish way of Lot instead of the graciousness and the unselfishness that we see in Abram. Believers, or even, even believers forget that they are Christians and they will fight for the better place. They will fight for the, for the bigger place and the bigger piece of land. Arguments are over land sometimes to go to the point of paying for a potion or poisoning one's own family to get what you want. If you choose to go the unselfish way, God will honor your choice. Though you may receive the poorer part of the land like Abram, God will watch after you. God is looking for Liberians who will be like Abram when it comes to the matter of land business. The fourth thing and the last thing is that we need to choose God always. Verses 14 to 18. After Lot had left, then God spoke to him and he says, I want you now. Abram, Lot chose. He lifted up his eye and he chose. Now I want you to lift up your eye and I want you to see. Now you look north, you look south, you look east, and you look west. Everything you see, I'm going to give you. Lot lifted up his eye and chose. God said, you lift up your eyes, I will give. Because Abram put God first, he put others second, he put himself last, and he chose God always. Lot chose the best land, but God was giving him all the land. Not just for his lifetime, but forever. And for the second time, God makes a promise to Abram. He says, first, I want to give you land. And then he says, I'm going to give you more descendants, or rather, literally, seed. More than can be counted. And he says, I'm giving it to you and your seed forever. You know what that tells us? God, he also repeated that to Isaac. And he repeated that to Jacob in Genesis 26 and 28. He says, I will give it to you and your descendant forever. How can he give something to a man who's going to die and go be dead forever? So what does it tell us? It tells us that there's such a thing as a resurrection. He said, I'm giving it to you forever to, and your descendants forever. That's an indication of bodily resurrection. He says that it will come. It will be and Israel will be an everlasting nation. This is their land forever. And notice that in, in, he also uses dust here in 1316. Now in the next, in the chapter 15, he's going to say, look at the stars. Here he says, look at the dust. There he says, look at the stars. And so he says, <clears throat> he says that you will be, that, that the earthly will be paired with the heavenly. And we have a God man who is fully God and he's fully man. He's fully from heaven and he's fully from the dust. And he is the one who is our Savior. It's a picture of the gospel. Now, Abram may have failed the first two tests, but he passed the third test. And it's not easy because it involved land and wealth. Abram is an example of how to handle quarrels over material things like money and possessions and land. First, Abram decided to be a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. Abram had learned that we are to be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love in, in honor, preferring one another. Romans 12, 10. The spiritual Christian does not insist on his own rights, but he gladly insists and yields to others. 
Philippians 2.4 says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The second thing that Abram did is he lived by faith, not by sight. Lot lived by sight. Oh, that's what I see. That's what I want. Abram lived by faith. It didn't matter what Lot did. Abram was not worried about his future because he knew someone else had charge of his future. He trusted the Lord to take care of him. Abram had met God at the altar. and He knew everything was under God's control. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain of the Jordan. Abram lifted up his eyes and he saw what the Lord showed that he would give him. Your eyes, brothers and sisters, your eyes see what your heart loves. What do you see that will tell you what's in your heart? Lot lifted up his eyes and he chose a land and it finally lost it and it was destroyed. God gave Abram the whole land which still belongs to him and his descendants right now. Lot said, I will take. God said to Abraham, I will give. Lot lost his family. Abraham was promised a family so large it would be uncountable. Lot lived for the ambition of what was possible. Abraham trusted God for the impossible. Abram, according to Jewish tradition was standing on this highest point in Israel when God was speaking to him. And he could see all of this land. And he says, lift your eyes and look. And he tells him, I want you to walk the length and the breadth of the land because God had given it to him. Now here's something you need to know. What what does this exactly mean? An early Jewish commentary on Genesis tells us that he was doing something that was a well-known legal custom in the Middle East of this time. We find documents in the, the Ugaritic documents, Egyptian and Hittite documents, where when you acquire a piece of property, similar to the way they do in Liberia, you acquire a piece of property, the transfer of ownership is not complete until the new owner will go out and walk the perimeter of the property. And so you imagine what the Canaanites thought when Abraham goes out and he walks over all the land, all the perimeter of the land. And they realize what he's doing. He believes God's giving it to him. What do you do here in Liberia? You put markers at the corner, right? And then you have to put something on the property to show that you're doing something that's yours, right? And so this is the same type of idea. He had to go out and walk the land to prove that it belonged to him. And so he was doing he was doing something. God said, I'm giving it to you now. I want you to go and I want you to demonstrate your faith by showing what I have given you. Go and walk the land. You can't just receive something and say, oh, okay, okay. But God says, go and take your faith and do something with it, like the James would tell us. You know. But there's one last thing here, and that is that there's more to the separation of these two men than just two men not getting along. Abraham and Lot needed to separate in order to assure that God, that Abram's promised son, he alone, would inherit Abraham's spiritual and material blessings of Genesis 12. You see, if Lot had remained with Abram, when Abram got old, Lot would have claimed the inheritance because he's his only nephew who's around. Right? And he could have overpowered any son, that, young son that might have been born if one were born. 
But because they separated, once that separation took place, then that son, the son of promise who is coming, the door, the gate was open for God's promise to be to come. Sometimes events happen in our lives and they seem like they're difficult and we don't understand what's going on, but later we look back. And if that event had not occurred, your life would have been completely different. The separation that took place between Lot and Abraham had to take place to preserve the seed of Abraham and God's plan to bring the gospel to all the nations. What would have happened if Lot had not separated from Abraham and contended for the inheritance and received it? The man Lot... How could the promise come to a man that wants to mix everything, who's all just thinking about himself? The plan of redemption would have been foiled. God had a plan. And the separation here preserved God's plan, and it made Abram's seed, Christ Jesus, a blessing to the nations. You see, things will happen in our lives, and we have to trust God. And God will work in our lives in ways And we have to walk and remember to stay at our altar and to stay in fellowship with Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for leading us. Help us to be people who choose You first, who choose others second, choose self last, and to choose You always. So we love You and praise You. Following God means we give up ourselves and we turn everything over to God, even our relationships and our future. Hope you enjoyed this message preached at Grace Evangelical Church in Congo Town, Greater Monrovia, Liberia. Thank you for listening to Voices Along the Way. You can find this podcast on a number of platforms. I'm Gene Brooks.